Hi, this is Malia Warner. Welcome to Power Principles, the podcast. Today is a continuation of our summer series, wherein I read chapters from my book, Lies of the Magpie, the story of my journey healing through postpartum depression and chronic illness. Today's episode is chapter two. I'm recording this episode several weeks before it will publish because I just have a little jaunt, a little two-week trip to someplace called South Africa, just because I happen to have a son who I haven't seen for almost 24 months, my oldest son, the one who is known as Danny, in the book. I have not been in his presence, given him a hug. I haven't spoken to him more than just by email and a couple of Skype phone calls. And I am going on a 30-hour plane ride so that I can run up to him and give him two years worth of a mama bear hug. This is different for me. This is new for me. I got a passport in my 20s before I was married. And then I didn't use it again for 20 years. And then last year, I went to France. And now this year, I'm going to South Africa. I'm kind of a homebody, and I can't say that I'm becoming a world traveler, but this is a big experience. And hopefully by the time you are listening to this, our flights will have gone smoothly. We will have arrived on South African soil, and possibly I will have even seen a rhinoceros live and in person. So wish me luck. Send me good vibes. You can tell I'm a little anxious, a little excited and worked up because I'm flying tomorrow. I leave tomorrow. But enough with all that. Let's get on with it. Let's move on to Lies of the Magpie. Lies of the Magpie, Chapter 2. The thing Aaron remembers most about me from college is my fast-paced walk around campus. His tennis class met at 3 o'clock at the courts across from my off-campus housing. For weeks, he watched me leave my apartment, hurry across the road, rush past the tennis court, shortcut across the grass, and disappear into the humanities building. His tennis partner noticed him, staring, and said, Don't waste your time. That is Malia Day. She is the academic vice president. Ten bucks says you can't get her to stop to talk to you. She walks that fast everywhere she goes. It was my sophomore year. I was 10 years older than the straggly nine-year-old girl from Ms. Wickersham's fourth grade class. My beanpole figure had filled out in a few key places. Two years of orthodontic work and contact lenses had tamed my profile, but my ambition, if possible, was still as potent. I'd traded my dream of becoming a firefighter and astronaut to becoming an Air Force pilot and a foreign ambassador. I declared a political science major and carried an application for the Peace Corps in my backpack. Still, I'd never forgotten my dream to become Mrs. Murray from A Wrinkle in Time and have my own kitchen-slash-chemistry lab. My scholarship covered full tuition and fees, regardless of number of credit hours. So in addition to my social science courses, I registered for biochemistry series anatomy, microbiology, and physiology. These would cover all the lab science prerequisites, just in case I changed my mind about foreign diplomacy and decided to apply to medical school. It was a good plan, I thought, to keep both options open. I wouldn't need to make a final decision until I finished 18 months of voluntary missionary service. By the time Aaron first saw me speed walking past the tennis courts, I already had one year of college life under my belt. 
I had become a proficient calendar juggler, balancing heavy credit load and every extracurricular activity that would either provide me free dinner or look good on my resume. For me, college was an all-you-can-eat buffet and I planned to devour my money's worth. Aaron didn't have a clue what he was getting into the day he rested his tennis racket on his shoulder, leaned casually against the chain-link fence, and called out, Hey there, beautiful girl, as I hurried to yet another important appointment. Hearing a voice, I glanced up, but didn't slow down. It wasn't that I was unattractive, more like inaccessible. Suddenly, he was jogging alongside me. Hey there, what's up? What's the rush? I recognized his face from a picture I'd seen in the student council office. He was campaigning for a seat in the freshman senate. He put his tennis racket in his left hand. I'm Aaron Warner, he said, offering me his sweaty right palm. He had an inviting, flirty smile. I felt flattered and flustered. Oh, hi, I'm Malia Day. I looked apologetically at his still extended hand. Sorry, my hands are full. I said, nodding my chin down to the stack of books I was carrying. He tossed his racket onto the grass and reached out for the books. Here, let me take those. The sound of his voice sent an electric current through me. I gripped the stack of catalogs to my chest. It could not be healthy to feel so instantly attracted to a boy. Laya would not approve. We had agreed on multiple occasions to not let silly boys distract us. No, it's okay, I've got them. I pulled the books closer. I'm presenting to the Faculty Academic Council on boosting the school's transfer credit rating, but all the course catalogs I'd highlighted were at my apartment, so I had to run back to get them, and now I'm almost late. The words spilled onto the sidewalk where my racing feet tripped over them as I made a sharp left turn and started to run, my dress pumps clicking loudly on the sidewalk. Sorry, I can't stay and chat. I have to hurry or I'll never make it. Will you be at the campaign rally this Friday? Aaron called as the humanities building door closed behind me. He stood staring down at the heap of messy words at his feet, trying to figure out what had just happened. Maybe I'll see you there, he called out to the empty space where I had just been. I'd like to think that Aaron's attraction to me was motivated by a deep force, a hand of fate, an eternal soul connection that existed before we'd even met. But it's hard to say because for Aaron, college was also an all-you-can-eat buffet of eligible co-eds. Perhaps our attraction was a soul connection, or perhaps Aaron first spotted me as just one more savory dish of the buffet he wanted to sample. I might never know, but one thing I do know for certain, Aaron Warner did not know what he was getting himself into on the day when he decided to try to strike up a conversation with me. Laya and I had long agreed that flirting, dating, and socializing were distractions from accomplishing more important goals. We had vowed to finish our B of S degrees before getting our MRS degrees. I had graduated from high school as a card-carrying member of the Virgin Lip Club. Well, the Virgin Everything Club. Laya assured me that one day, the very attributes, like my assertiveness and my 4.0 GPA, that caused boys to give me a wide berth would be the very things that would make me desirable. In the meantime, I focused on building a dowry of personal accomplishments, trusting that when I was ready to seriously consider marriage, I would be an enticing catch. One day, when I was ready, I would find the boy who would be brave enough to get to know me, brave enough to love me. That day at the tennis courts, Aaron didn't know any of this. He didn't know about my celibacy record or that I viewed dating as an unproductive waste of time. He didn't know that I'd been awake since 5.30 a.m. that morning cramming in 20 hours of classes and homework. He didn't know that I wore my busyness as a badge of honor and proof of self-worthiness. 
All he knew was that there was a brown-haired, brown-eyed girl who had nearly given him the brush off, an entirely new experience for him, and he felt up to the challenge. The next Friday night, I did go to the camping rally, not to socialize, but to fulfill my obligations as a student body officer. The evening was beautiful, and I felt relieved to have a resume-worthy excuse to be outdoors instead of feeling guilty about not studying. It was late September, and the campaign rally was combined with the opening student social held up Aspen Canyon, east of the college that bore its name, Aspen Community College. The leaves of the scrub oaks burned brilliant red, while the aspen trees transformed their top hats from green to yellow. The sound of a mountain breeze rustling through these colored leaves is why the trees are called quaking aspens. I stood in the back of a crowd of students, my hands wrapped around a styrofoam cup of hot chocolate, and watched Aaron deliver a confident, why you should vote for me speech. He stood on a platform set up next to the bonfire. Nobody could hear the other speeches above the crackling noise of the fire and the buzz of socializing happening all around. But when Aaron stood on the platform to speak, everybody could hear him, and everybody listened. He exuded an air of trustworthy confidence and spontaneous playfulness. When he stood in front, the crowd seemed to say, yes, we will follow him because he will take us where we want to go and we will have fun along the way. I watched how the reflection of the fire compounded the natural spark that already resided in his eyes. I liked the contours of his face, the distinct jawline and cheekbones, but especially his eyes accented by long, dark lashes and wavy brown hair. He didn't seem phased by anything. He certainly wasn't intimidated tonight, not by this noisy crowd and not by being in the spotlight. I tried to decide if he knew how attractive he was. Are you swooning? From out of nowhere, Laya came up and whispered in my ear. There's no doubt he's charismatic, and evidently you're not the only girl here to be seduced by his charm. Laya drew my attention away from Aaron to the rows of girls around me, giggling as they watched his speech. Oh, brother, I rolled my eyes, embarrassed for myself. I had already vowed on multiple occasions that I would never stoop to primping, flirting, tilting my chin, or high-pitched giggling to win a little masculine attention. I nodded. It was time to leave. I had squandered enough of my time at this campus activity. I'm going home to work on my paper. Laya linked onto my elbow as we walked away. A guy like that would mean nothing but distraction and trouble for you, Laya whispered to me. Before leaving for college, Laya and I had written our promises that we would get a degree before getting a husband. She perjured girls who wasted college studying men rather than books. You don't want to be one of those girls, Laya pointed out, who have no ambition beyond being a man's wife. I nodded. While marriage and family were on my to-do list, they were much further down the list. Still, when Laya wasn't watching, I turned my head to sneak one more glance at Aaron. He had finished speaking and was surrounded by a gaggle of girls all vying for his attention. Not in the least befuddled by the circus of attention, he volleyed and directed the girls' advances like a master cat trainer coaxing their mirth, prodding their coquetry, until he had them leaping boisterously through hoops in a circle around him, jubilant with flirtatious chatter. From the center of the group, Aaron looked out, his eyes searching. The exhibition seemed to move in slow motion until his eyes found me and he captured my gaze. I didn't look away. How did he know I was here? Despite the feminine festivity all around him, his eyes made me feel that I was the only girl that mattered. 
So I was surprised that after the campaign rally, he didn't really talk to me again for weeks. We saw each other nearly every day. He had won the election, so he moved into a desk across from mine in the student government office. We sat across from each other at weekly student government meetings, attended the same student leadership class, and he sat behind me in calculus. When it came to classes, meetings, or social events, Aaron arrived early and stayed late so he could talk to as many people as possible. I came late and left early so I wouldn't get caught in the socializing trap. After all, I had come to college to build my resume, not my social calendar. Laya had a motto about socializing. It went like this. In a job interview, the boss never asks how many friends you have. I hunted for the most secluded places on campus to study and avoided areas with excessive hanging out, such as the library, the computer lab, or my apartment. I could never get homework done at home. If my roommates weren't watching afternoon soap operas, I would inevitably get sucked into obligatory roommate conversation. How was your day? How's your boyfriend? I'm sure he didn't mean that. No, don't cry. You're gonna be okay. Please don't wipe snot on my sleeve. The worst socializing trap on campus, I soon discovered, was the student government office. A corner room in a slated-to-be-demolished building on the corner of campus. A room we affectionately called the cave. I tried to spend as little time in the cave as possible. My desk often sat vacant for the entire six days between weekly student body officer meetings. Hey Malia, I haven't seen you in a while. Corey, the student body president, greeted me when I walked in one Monday for executive council meeting. Your desk is this one right next to me, in case you don't remember. Very funny. I'd teach Corey to tease me. I snatched a loose rubber band from the desk, wound it around my thumb, pointed at an imagined X on Corey's forehead, and fired. Offset to the left, on purpose so the elastic made a whizzing sound as it brushed past Corey's ear. Years of shooting plastic cowboys and Indians off the fireplace in our basement with my Down syndrome brother made me a fairly lethal aim in rubber band warfare. Corey touched his ear, then examined his fingers for blood. Okay, okay, I give up. Corey held up his hands in surrender. But how come we never see you between meetings? I've been out of town, I responded, unloading my backpack onto my desk. A brief sideways glance revealed that Aaron was watching me from across the room. I hadn't seen him in calculus for a while. Ah, oh, yeah, that's right, Corey said. Congratulations on the big win. He stood up to conduct the meeting. I guess we should start by announcing that our debate team took first place at Arizona State over the weekend and Malia here was the MVP. Why don't you give us a report? Everybody looked at me. Um, we did really well. If we place in two more tournaments, we will definitely qualify to attend nationals next spring. What Malia isn't telling you is that she trophied in four events. Coach Warbler told me that she broke a tournament record. Corey spoke with school pride. I caught Aaron looking at me with admiration in his eyes. A tingle went down my spine. The room went awkwardly silent, waiting for me to respond. The trip was fabulous. Arizona was beautiful and warm. By the way, do not eat the oranges off the public trees. They are for decoration only, and they will burn the skin off the inside of your mouth. Do not ask me how I know. The group laughed. Congratulations for a job well done, said Corey. Now you get to keep Ned. He tossed a rubber chicken at me. I reached up with one hand and caught our council mascot. Thanks. I hung the naked bird upside down from my desk as per tradition, feeling Aaron's eyes watching me the whole time. After the meeting, I heaved my pack of books onto my back and made a beeline for the door. Aaron caught my arm before I could exit. Congrats on the debate win. I wondered why you weren't at the dance Friday. I looked for you. 
He looked for me. I imagined dancing with Aaron and my legs turned to jelly. Um, yeah, we left Thursday and didn't get back until... I looked at my watch. About three hours ago, we drove all night. I barely made it in time for my 8 o'clock psychology class. Early that morning, when the rest of the members of the debate team skipped their morning classes to go home to sleep, I left my luggage in the debate room, brushed my teeth in the public bathroom, changed my shirt, and ran to class. For me, sloughing a class was equivalent to breaking an 11th commandment. How was the dance? I asked Aaron. It was fun, but it would have been better if you had been there. My stomach was an old cupboard full of dust moths. This boy was not good for me. I haven't seen you in calculus for a while, I said, changing the subject. That's because I haven't gone to calculus for a while. Aaron pulled me away from the doorway, letting the other council members exit and further committing me to a longer conversation. There were vibrations in my skin where his hand touched my wrist. I dropped that class, he said. I couldn't figure out K-Pi from Cowpi. It was all a bunch of crap to me. His smile filled the room, and I couldn't help laughing. What do you know about cow pies? I asked. I know cow pies, he said. I worked for a dairy farm in high school. I've thrown a few toxic frisbees in my day. I hadn't pegged him as a farming sort of fellow. I came from generations of cattle, sheep, and dairy farmers, a fact I didn't openly share. Aaron laughed, and I watched his eyes dance. His green eyes. I had a weakness for green eyes. Time to go, Lia mouthed, tapping her watch. Oh, I gotta run or I'll be late for my ballet class. I ducked under the arm Aaron had stretched out between the door and me. As I hurried down the hallway, I wanted to turn around to say something more, or simply to see Aaron's face again. Instead, I absorbed the feeling of his eyes watching me walk away. This is Malia Warner. Thank you for tuning in today. And remember to take a minute and leave me a review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen, whether it's iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, or Google Play. Reviews are what help the podcast to show up when people are searching for a great podcast to listen to. I'll meet you back here next week with Lies of the Magpie, Chapter 3.